listeners. This is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We all love to eat. Well, I would like to tell you about my friends at the Rib Shack Barbecue on West Bay Drive in downtown Largo. Their menu offers family-sized takeout dinners like delicious ribs, chicken, beef, and pork, or sit-down barbecue dinners, sandwiches, and even desserts. They will also cater your party. Everything is barbecued fresh using real oak for that great smoky flavor. So visit my friends, Corey, Jed, and Kurt at the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 600 West Bay Drive, or call them for a takeout order at 727-501-9090. That's 727-501-9090. They truly have the best smoking barbecue in town. Oh, and be sure and check out their great barbecue sauce. That's the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 727-501-9090. I'm telling Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars sent you. This is Robert from Nostalgic Video and Cars, here to tell you about Bellador's Pizza and Pasta, where the food is fresh, the sauce homemade, and the price is fantastic. They offer Chicago-style stuffed crust pizza, New York-style pizza, calzones, strombolis, pasta entrees, beer wine, and great desserts. They even make the bread fresh daily. Hey, they offer catering, and any order over 10 bucks, free delivery. So give them a call at 727-581-5000. Place your order now. They're located at 131 Clearwater Lager Road near downtown Largo. Or visit their website, belladorspizza.com. Murdoch. Do you like it? You know, this place always lacked a sort of a formal touch. What's the matter, MacGyver? You don't look happy to see me. Yeah, go figure. What do you want? Well, I simply wanted to thank you for coming to my aid when you rescued my sister Ashton from Hit. You didn't give me much of a choice on that, did you? Details, MacGyver. Why don't you sit down? Don't look so grim. Try the food. It's vegetarian. Uh, this is a little more than a simple thank you. Go easy on me, MacGyver. All right, I've recently suffered a personal tragedy. It's my my dear sister Ashton. She was uh, killed while skiing in Switzerland. Was it hit? No, no, no. It was an avalanche. Poor Ashton. She was the last of my family. I'm sorry. Yes, well, the death of a loved one forces you to evaluate your life, make a fresh start. Get back to business. Is this how you keep your promises, Murdoch? <laughs> you didn't really think that I would retire, did you, MacGyver? I mean, do you see me playing golf? Can you see me fishing? The world's problems being what they are. My talents are in greater demand than ever before. Also, you know, I, I must confess, I, I need the money. That's why I asked Hit to let me come out of retirement. They tried to kill you. Well, business is business. Forgive and forget, that's what I always say. Besides, Hit asked me to erase the only blemish on my otherwise spotless record, and of course that blemish is you. (laughs) Now this is a unique mixture of cyanide. It's actually my own formula. Kills instantly. Better death through chemistry, that's what I always say. All right, MacGyver. Why don't you find a clever way out of this? Uh, the death of MacGyver, scene one, action. So, MacGyver, why don't you tell us how you really feel knowing that you're about to die? Well, would you like to share that with us? Come on, MacGyver. Speak up. What are you, camera shy, MacGyver? You satisfied? Yes. I think I may be. You know, <laughs> you, you don't 
don't know how long I've waited for you to say this. Murdoch! Still playing your sick games! No games. Strictly business. You saved my life. I arranged this to pay off the debt. We're in. Even? Now I can hunt you with a clear conscience, MacGyver, but be warned. You're a target, and I don't intend to miss. Hello out there. Peabody and Sherman here. Set the Wayback Machine. We enter the Wayback and we're immediately hurtled back through time and space. Hey, this is comedian, author, and most importantly, vintage race car driver Adam Carolla telling you I love nostalgic radio and cars. Okay, listeners, welcome. You're tuned into Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Bring your computers and Google Tantalk1340.com and you can see us live. Don't forget to visit our Facebook page, Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and or Gulfstream Motorsports and give us a big like uh, while you're on our website, GulfstreamMotorsports.com. And if you've missed any of our past shows, be sure and check out our podcast, Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Good evening, Cedric. How are you doing this evening? Oh, I'm just great. How's the Saturn? It's doing much better. It's doing I won't much be be- crashing into anything now. Yeah, Cedric got his brakes fixed today. Yes, I did. That's a good thing. It feels good to have a set of brakes underneath you, doesn't it? It definitely. <laughs> it's definitely reassuring. Well, well, having said that, let's see. What do we got? Oh, well, let's see. This past weekend, i got to tell you guys, Sunday night was absolutely incredible. <laughs> hey, I like that. Good sound effect. You know, we forgot all about our sound effects. We've been kind of slacking on those a little bit. So if you got some more, go ahead and throw them in there. What are you people? Fat, <laughs> drunk, and stupid is no way to go through life, son. Oh, you know what's what I'm thinking of. <laughs> <laughs> now what? Hey. Now what? This is not a call-in show. Who's this guy think he is? The president or something? I'm sorry to be screwing this thing up. What? You kidding me? <laughs> you know, if there's a job to do, you got to do it yourself. Yeah, right. <laughs> Uh, this is kind of cool, Robert. Sure, right on. Dig it, man. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, the reason I am interrupting uh, Robert is not because he's not doing a good job. He's doing an unbelievable job. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate it. Uh, but it's because I just got off the telephone with... Dr. Howard, Dr. Fine, Dr. Howard. What we're talking about is common sense reform. If you like your doctor, you're going to be able to keep your doctor. It is a lie, plain and simple. And that's the truth. What about the dog? What do you oh, the, the wolf, wolf, the wolf, wolf, wolf. Yeah, uh, I'll look for it. But uh, anyway, um, but uh, this Sunday, this past Sunday, last week, if you tuned in our show, we had uh, Bruce Cohen on. Bruce is the uh, manager for the Doobie Brothers, and through Bruce, we were he was gracious enough to uh, get us tickets and backstage passes to the Doobie Brothers. Which I got to tell you, that was a great concert. Um, we got there a little early. We got a chance to talk to Pat Simmons and uh, Tom Johnson and McPhee and uh, Gary, you know, the bass player. So they were they're pretty cool. Um, usually when they do those little meet and greets and stuff, you have to stand in line and they're usually about, uh, 10, 15 minutes worth and you got a line of maybe 15 or 20 people that got to go into what they call the green room. 
And it varies from uh, uh, celebrity to band to whomever, however, which way they do that, because it's usually up to the tour manager whether they want to let you do like a meet and greet and a chat type thing or just stand up there and just take pictures and get an autograph. So it just kind of varies because a lot of times, you know, the band just kind of rolls in. If they're on a tour like the Doobie Brothers, they just came the day before. They just got out of – they were in Key West. So they were pretty well uh, kind of road tripped, so to speak. But uh, I'll tell you what, the performance was excellent. I mean, the one thing about the Doobie Brothers, and I saw them last fall in uh, California at the – B.R. Cone uh, Fall Festival, which is a charity function that uh, Bruce puts on every year. They did an excellent job out there. But I'll tell you what, that was an outdoor concert. This was an indoor concert. So the acoustics were good. Ruth Acker, there was 20-some-odd hundred people there, 40s, 50s, 60-year-old guys, 70-year-old guys, uh, pretty much well-behaved. So it wasn't a bad uh, audience, so to speak. Uh, A few young people, including my son, who uh, just turned 17 yesterday. And we had a spectacular time. The Doobie Brothers really, really, they played some of their best songs, some of the most notable songs, you know, Long Chain Rungin', uh, Listen to the Music, uh, Jesus is Alright, great songs. They played a couple of the new songs off the new album. But they really rallied the crowd. The crowd really gets into it, and they get into the crowd. So when Bruce mentioned on the show last week that they give 110%, they truly gave a great, great performance. So run out and buy Doobie Brothers CDs. Uh, if you can make it to the Fall Festival in Sonoma, California this uh, fall, usually the end of September, you got to do that. And uh, if you get a chance to see them someplace in the concert sometime in the future, be sure and check them out. Hey, we got a great show for you tonight. We have a very interesting guest coming on, another kind of a departure from the automotive uh, guest that we typically have. But we got another musician, author, uh, movie star. Matter of fact, at the beginning of the show, we played a little clip from MacGyver, and this gentleman... Played one of the villains on MacGyver. Well, I'll tell you what. Having said that, since I just set the stage here real quick, let's see. As far as uh, shows this weekend, uh, not a lot of car stuff going on, other than the usual stuff. You know, tomorrow, Test and Tune at uh, Showtime Speedway. We've got the uh, car show at, uh, at Quaker State. That's on Thursday. Friday at the Capitol Theater, Fab Four. The Shelby Meet uh, next weekend, I think, in uh, Elkhart Lake. That's about it as far as car stuff. What do we got in the turntable? We got some kind of cool well i guess it's not really a real old song but it's kind of what 80s 90s the song's pretty cool the band is what's the name of the gentleman it's uh mark rivera mark rivera yeah well he's actually been around for a while and this is kind of a cool call song it's called money money yeah. money and uh something that everybody could use something something that the government takes too much of doesn't know how to use they're irresponsible with it hey you're tuning into the south Radio and cars don't go away Little Mark Rivera, money, money, money. Kind of a groovy song. Or is this hip? This would be hip, right? Funky. That's it. Funky and hip. All right, we'll be right back. Mm, gonna get myself a driver Gonna hop into my limousine 
listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We all love to eat. Well, I would like to tell you about my friends at the Rib Shack Barbecue on West Bay Drive in downtown Largo. Their menu offers family-sized takeout dinners like delicious ribs, chicken, beef, and pork, or sit-down barbecue dinners, sandwiches, and even desserts. They will also cater your party. Everything is barbecued fresh using real oak for that great smoky flavor. So visit my friends, Corey, Jed, and Kurt, at the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 600 West Bay Drive, or call them for a takeout order at 727-501-9090. That's 727-501-9090. They truly have the best smoking barbecue in town. Oh, and be sure and check out their great barbecue sauce. That's the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 727-501-9090. I'm telling Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars sent you. This is Robert from Nostalgic Video and Cars, here to tell you about Bellador's Pizza and Pasta, where the food is fresh, the sauce homemade, and the price is fantastic. They offer Chicago-style stuffed crust pizza, New York-style pizza, calzones, strombolis, pasta entrees, beer one, and great desserts. They even make the bread fresh daily. Hey, they offer catering, and any order over 10 bucks, free delivery. So give them a call at 727-581-5000. Place your order now. They're located at 131 Clearwater Largo Road, near downtown Largo. Or visit their website, belladorspizza.com. Hi, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. If you'd like to play golf, Magnolia Valley Golf Club is offering some specials this week. Give them a call up there at 727-847-2342. They have a 9-hole executive course and they have an 18-hole par 72. And they've got great food on the 19th hole. So call my friend Pete at 727-847-2342. And be sure to tune in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Andy Powell, guitarist, Wishbone Ash, and you are listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Okay, we're back, and you tune into Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and it's time to introduce our special guest for the evening. This gentleman is an accomplished musician, songwriter, TV, movie, radio star, actor, author. I am delighted to welcome to the show this evening, Michael DeBar. Michael, are you there? I am indeed. Hi, everyone. How are you doing out there? Michael, tell us a little bit. Now, you live in California right now, right? But you're a British... It's so funny, you know, when, when I say, how are you doing out there, I expect to hear, yeah, great, Michael, fantastic, you know, like it was a live show or something. <laughs> it's very idiotic. Yes, I live in California. I live in Hollywood. Um, I had done for many, many years. I came here in 72, you know, in a, in a glam rock band, Silverhead, um, and stayed. I met Miss Pamela, the infamous Miss Pamela, wrote with the band Confessions of a Groupie. Perhaps some of you guys out there have read it. If not, get it. It's a fascinating read. Sexy, honest read by Pamela. And, you know, I love America. I am American. I've lived here over half my life, or half my life, <laughs> and I consider myself an absolute uh, champion of the United States. Well, super. I'm glad to hear that. I wish more people felt that way. You know, be American in America. That's a good thing, especially if you're from overseas, right, or anywhere else? Well, I, I don't believe in nationalism, per se, but, but I really love the, the spirit of, of America because it's, it's optimistic. It's, it's moving forward no matter what they, how they spin it out there. You know, we live in a culture that I think is becoming more equal every day. And we must continue that fight. I'm interviewing Marion Williamson on my uh, internet show, the Michael DeGar show on T Radio V on Thursday afternoon, 3 to 4 p.m. Uh, PST. 
And she's running for Congress. You might remember Marion Williamson wrote all these metaphysical books, and now she's running for a congressperson for California, and she, her platform is love, <laughs> connection, and equality. Wow. Well, why don't you tell us a little bit about your humble beginnings and how you came from across the pond, as they say, and how you well, got into the all, industry. Nothing about me is humble whatsoever. Oh. <laughs> okay. Let's get that perfectly straight. Um, you know, I didn't come from humble beginnings. I came from a very privileged, uh, aristocratic family. I don't say that with pride or ego. But I was educated in boarding schools from 8 to 16, which was miserable. Um, the class system in England being so abusive. Um, and I've always stu- stood for the working man. You know, rock and roll is a working man's profession. It's like a basketball player getting out of the ghetto. It's the same thing for those skinny British kids in the 60s, blasting out of the East End of London, Ronnie Wood, Jeff Beck, Keith Richards. The list is endless. You know it backwards and forwards. Um, And I subscribed to that side of the fence rather than the privileged upbringing that I had because my father had a title and I blah, blah, blah. The antithesis, really, of what I saw rock and roll now. So, you know, yeah, I grew up a young actor. In London, I did. Uh, I was at drama school from 16 onwards till about 18. At 17 years old, I did a movie called To Sell With Love with Sidney Poitier, and uh, they took us out of our classroom at drama school, put us in this movie, which happened to be the biggest movie of the year uh, internationally, and that changed my life. Were you involved, were you really interested in music then? Because one of the stars in that movie was uh, Lulu, who had written, who did this theme song, To Sell With Love, correct? That is correct. Also, Wayne Fontana and the Mindbenders were there, a little-known band from the 60s, one of the many, many wonderful bands that did not achieve colossal fame. Yes, rock and roll was everything to me. But at these boarding schools, it was almost like um, you were you were uh, exposed to the blues, but you couldn't uh, tell anyone. It was almost like contraband. Um, I'm with the contraband. You weren't allowed to uh, enjoy... Uh, the sensual music of bluesy African-Americans. You know, it was almost, you had to keep it hidden. But I was introduced to the blues when I was like 12, 13. Uh, Otis Redding, etc. Elvis, uh, Sonny Boy Williamson, Lightning Hopkins, Howlin' Wolf, all the great blues musicians. So I had that in my blood, but I wanted to act. But as the 60s progressed, it became increasingly clear that what I wanted to do was rock and roll. Um, because I was out every night in London. I mean, you can only imagine what it was like in in England uh, in the mid-60s. Every night, animals, Jimi Hendrix, the Nashville team, the Rolling Stones, the Faces, the Who. I mean, it was it was a spectacle of rock and roll brilliance and the sidewalk to pay the velvet. And the air was full of polka dots. I mean, it was an extraordinary time to be alive. And so I picked up a guitar. Were you influ- who was your, some of your influences besides the people you just mentioned in terms of rock and roll? Were you more influenced by the blues influence, the music of, the, of here in the United States, or was there somebody in particular in the UK that uh, was kind of like? Uh, no, I mean all of us were influenced by the people that invented it: Muddy Waters, Chuck Berry, Little Richard, Jerry Lee Lewis, Elvis Presley. Um, any any musician that you talk to that's from that era was addicted to the blues. It was this strange hybrid where. You had working-class peacocks dressed in silk playing Elmore James, you know. Um, It was an amazing time. And uh, uh, if you're asking me what my influences were, initially, I loved Muddy Waters. 
because Muddy Waters is the classic rock lineup, guitar, bass, drums, uh, and harmonica, you know, and maybe a little bit of B3 organ, but that's what turned me on it. Turn up all of us on Rod, you know, Sam Cooke, Elvis, etc., etc. They're all American artists. British artists up to that point really just uh, were emulated and were influenced by American musicians. But then when, when the Beatles and the Stones exploded, it became a second generation of bands and a third and a fourth and a fifth. Until now, today, we've got the Stripes with a Y, who are 18 years old from Ireland, playing music like the Stones did in 64. So it's this wonderful cycle of, of music. My influences remain uh, the blues man of, uh, of the Delta in Chicago. When you first started playing, so that was the type of music that you played? Because in uh, the late 60s, early 70s, when you got involved with bands, you kind of went uh, rock and roll pretty heavy, and then the glam rock scene. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, rock and roll, glam rock, these are all journalistic descriptions. Okay. Easy characterizations of, of genres. We consider ourselves a blues band, and because we were cute, thin, Collectively, the, the band weighed 150 pounds. <laughs> so we we never considered ourselves glam or any of the labels thrust upon you. That's just for people to, to try and understand and characterize. Um, but we, we were influenced by the blues, but we also were influenced by Lord Byron and all the great poets and dandies of England. I mean, Brian Jones played Elmore James, but he looked like... You know, John Keats, the great poet. It was this strange, incredible cocktail, this potpourri of influences, poetic and lustful and rock and roll. You know, it was like Lord Byron playing fly guitar. You know, it's interesting. I had uh, Andy Powell on from Wishbone Asher not too long ago. And it seems to me that, uh, you know, like in the United States, the and, and myself included, you know, back in the 60s, we were kind of influenced very heavily by the the Beatles and the British invasion. And it's kind of almost as if we took for granted the fact that we had, you know, the Chuck Berries, the Elvis Presleys, the Sam Cooks, the Muddy Waters and stuff like that. I mean, in certain geographical regions they did. But those are the people that kind of influenced us. But yet, when you talk to a British uh, musician, it seems like you guys are so much more intellectual and so much more educated. And I, and no, I don't mean no, that. No, I, I, no, 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 no. It's nothing to do with intellect. No, it's to do with civil rights. Okay. Uh, the African American uh, musicians were treated like SHIT, and in England they were not. They were respected, and I think that's the difference. Whenever you hear this well-worn and well-trod threadbare theory that. Uh, you know, the Brits uh, embraced African-American music uh, and brought it back to the States. That is true. Um, but that's true of jazz. That's true since the 30s. I mean, Paris, you know, in Paris, for instance, you would have the great, you know, Josephine Baker, Billie Holiday. I mean, all of the great artists from, from the jazz era, the bebop era, were way more respected in Europe than they were in America. In America, they weren't even allowed to get on a bus with white people, use the bathroom. You know, I mean, we're talking about the 60s in London was very different from the 60s in the Deep South. So I, I, I subscribe that to just, you know, the fact that uh, England is a smaller country and it's very uh, ethnically um, different. 
And I think there was more understanding of, of what the music was and what it represented. And um, fortunately, we're now, you know, obviously with the Sterling thing with the Clippers, racism raises its head once again, but it's much better. And it can get better still. Your first band that that's notable was uh, Silverhead, correct? And so how'd that, how'd that band come about, the the style of the music? Because uh, it's got a little bit of, uh I'm trying to think, the voices in there kind of remind me of very much like uh, late 60s, like the Small Faces, Little Humble Pie. Yeah, very much Steve Marriott, yeah. He he very much influenced me, Steve. We we did a number of shows. You know, we were actors. Steve was an actor, too. He played the Artful Dodger in, uh, in Oliver, the musical. And I was in a musical in London called The Dirtiest Show in Town in the late 60s, early 70s. It was a nude musical. And I played an androgynous rock character called Rose. And Andrew Lloyd Webber saw it, um, and he'd just written Jesus Christ Superstar with Tim Rice. And, and, he's, and he, you know, he got in touch with me. I had a meeting with him. I was like 19. And he said, you should be in a rock band. And, and he helped me put a band together, and that was Silverhead. And we were influenced by what everybody was influenced by. The Temptations, you know, the Muddy Water, Sam Cooke, Otis, Elvis. Rock and roll, the Stones, you know, blues. And uh, that was the band, and we loved it. We had such a great time. We were very young. Went to Japan very early and, and uh, played to, you know, thousands of screaming fans and then came back to Cleveland and played to 11 people. You know, the ups and downs of rock and roll. <laughs> but uh, boy, did we learn stuff. Who were the, uh, well, now, the other bands that had some influence over you, too, was uh, Deep Purple, Led Zeppelin. Tell us a little bit about the correlation there, because some of these bands you opened up for, right? Led Zeppelin never had an opening act, um, okay. but we were on the label, Swan Song, yeah. Jimmy liked Silverhead and signed me in Detective to Swan Song, um, well, which Detective was, was, if you're talking about that band, yeah, that was uh, influenced by a uh, heavier vibe, um, Zeppelin-esque, if you will, and um, yeah, I, I, I've been really influenced by so many people. I, I think... At the core of it all, I'm just a fan. You know, I just, I just love music. You know, I had my own show in Sirius, um, you know, Stephen's Underground Garage, and I, I played music three hours a day. You know, so I'm, I'm still very much involved in music, and, and I go see new bands. I always have done. And I'm sort of like a lot of guys who stay in the game. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm interested. I'm curious. I want to change. I want new. I want different experiences. When I joined the Power Station, for instance, when Robert uh, Palmer decided not to tour, that was an incredible experience. Uh, it just came out of the blue. There I was at Live Aid after 10 days rehearsal. Incredible. The bands seem to, or band players, seem to jump around a lot. Is there? Tell us a little bit what are the, some of the reasons. I mean, it's, uh, you know, is it you want to be part of a different band? Is it friends going from one to another? Is it musical influences? Is it uh, you just want to try something different? Uh, tell us a little bit about that. Well, I don't really understand the question, but I've been in de- different bands. Right. Um, they'd lasted a couple of years, you know, here, a couple of years there, you know, and I I've kept moving. I blend cocaine primarily. <laughs> um, but, uh, but that's the glib response. The other response is I, I my attention span is certainly challenged. Um, and I change. You know, when you're 19, Robert, and you're in a band... You're very different from when you are at 25. At 25, you're very different at 30. At 30, etc. So one grows, one changes. Okay. You know, um, these bands, we were touring bands. We worked our asses off for years uh, in uh, touring. And that 
leads to temptation, and that leads to drugs and boredom and tedium. You've only got those couple of hours on stage, and the rest of it, you're traveling or waiting. So it's a very dangerous experience being on the road. And, um, you know, and I succumbed to every temptation possible. That probably had a lot to do with the eclecticism of my career and the different bands that I inhabited. And from an artistic standpoint, what would you say is your strong points? Are they, is it, would it be music? Would it be songwriting? Would it be acting? I mean, or is it just a combination of everything and it's the variety of it? I'm very disciplined, um, I, for one thing, and I've been at it for over 50 years. So I, I think to answer your question humbly, it would be a sense of joy and enthusiasm in whatever I do. If I'm killing people on TV in MacGyver or I'm playing a club in in Hollywood, it's just another form of self-expression. I've never been able to choose one above the other. It's just, I'm, I'm just so lucky. I'm just so grateful to be able to to express myself artistically. You know, a lot of my contemporaries are dead. A lot of them, uh, you know, have become, I don't know, you know, competent. <laughs> well, now, you had a, you know, you mentioned MacGyver. Now, you were on that TV series. Uh, you made a number of appearances on there, and you kind of tended to play a, I guess you would say a heavy, as they say. Well, I only weigh 130 pounds, so a heavy probably wouldn't be quite. Okay. Uh, a bad guy, yeah. a villain? But, <laughs> 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 yeah, I played the villain. Yeah, I okay. played bad guys for, the, for, for most of the 80s and, and most of the 90s. Um, the character's name was Murdoch, and he was an assassin and a master of disguise, and I had a ball. Now, when you do those roles, for example, like Murdoch, example, how much uh, input do you have in the way the characters portrayed your style? Well, it, it, you know, when you do a series, I initially was cast for one episode, and they liked me, and they wrote specifically for that character. So we were in sync. You know, the way I played it was the way they wrote it. So as we went on over the six years I did it, the writers knew what I would and wouldn't do and what I would say and what I wouldn't say. Primarily, the character was uh, Master Disguise, so therefore I had prosthetic makeup and different accents and different weapons, and I learned a lot about weapons and driving and stunts, which I did myself, which I love, you know. And uh, it was an amazing experience on every level. But um, you do what you're told. You know, television is a collaborative effort. Acting is a collaborative effort, and being in a band is a collaborative effort, and hopefully you hit the right bunch of people at the right time. Tell us a little bit about the differences. You mentioned discipline. You mentioned collaborative effort and stuff. TV versus movies, because you've done both. There is is really no difference. The the, the difference with movies is if it's a big movie, there's a lot more time that you're sitting around. With television, it's way faster paced. Um, So you'll get two or three takes, tops. Um, And in movies... If it's a big budget movie like I did in Cadillac with Clint Eastwood, and that was a big budget movie, so there was more time or money, although Clint works really fast, uh, which I like to do. I don't like to belabor over it. You know, it, it dilutes itself. It's the same with making an album. I, I like to get in and get out. Although I'm about to make a new album in Rome in, uh, when is it, June and July. And uh, I'm working with a producer called Bob Rose in a new label over there, European label called Fod Records. And I got two months, which is incredibly indulgent for me. But if you cut back to 1977 when we were with Zeppelin, you, we spent a million dollars and nine months on an album. We spent weeks trying to get a drum sound, you know, in those indulgent days. But that, those days are no more. 
But I like to do things quickly. TV is different from movies. You've got to be fast. You've got to do it quick. You've got to know what you're doing. You've done a number of TV shows, because I was looking through the roster of some of the TV shows that you've been on. You've been on Seinfeld. You've been on Fraser, Ellen, uh, Roseanne even, uh, Miami mm-hmm. Vice. Wow. Now, let me ask you this. Going back to WKRP, because I made a joke about that earlier before we got on the air. You know, the, our radio station is almost like a WKRP. So, when in the, the original TV show, didn't you play a uh, rock musician, if I remember correctly? Yeah, it was, the band was called Scum of the Earth. Okay. And um, people just loved that. It was actually Detective, um, the music. Okay. Was detective. But the actors were Jimmy Henderson and Peter Elbling, and we played... A, a band initially when it was written when i got the script it was like a punk band obviously with a name like that and the wardrobe people came to the first day and said Here, here's the safety pins here's the ripped jeans and i said no 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 don't do that put them in suits and ties be much funnier say the exactly the same dialogue but dress them smartly and they did and it was a smash you know it was one of the most popular episodes of the series i then subsequently did the remake of W, the new WKRP, which which proves my point that you cannot revisit something. (laughs) (laughs) It's like reuniting to go on tour or something. It just can't be done. It just, it it was a wash. Uh, It was fun. The cast was fun. Tony Katane and I did it, but it was uh, nowhere near the brilliance of the initial series. You got an album out now, Hot and Sticky Live, and... uh... Tell us a little bit about that and the Carnaby Street connotation there, because uh, that's kind of interesting, and it kind of has kind of a real nostalgic flair to it. Well, it, 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 it is obviously the name of the mecca of clothes in the 60s. Uh, the album is very much about that age, that era that you, that you love, that you mm-hmm. were raised on. Um, and I, I wanted to call it something that would suggest the time, Carnaby Street, and, and I made it in a week. And, and mixed it in three days and put it out myself. Uh, and, and I'm very proud of it. You can pick it up at michaeldaybar.com, you guys out there, if you want to hear it. It's good. It's rocking. And then Hot and Sticky was one night we played the Viper Room in Hollywood. We played a lot of clubs all over the country, but one night, I record everything, so one night it was just magic, and I listened to it the next day, and I said, put it out, and we put it out. And uh, you can get that at the same um you know, the same website, michaeldebar.com. There it is. Please enjoy. Do you tour much these days? I play live a lot. You okay. Know? I, 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 uh, but I do acoustic shows mainly for charitable charitable, charitable organizations. My girlfriend is very involved in environmental studies. And on Saturday, we did a show to raise money uh, in the Philippines. The rainforests are being destroyed for palm oil. I hope your audience is aware of that. If they're not, look it up. And as a result, all of the chimpanzees, uh, animals are dying because the forests are being stripped to get this palm oil. And I did a show on Saturday night, just acoustic, me and an acoustic guitar, told some stories, played some songs. But I'm going now to Europe to make a rock and roll, a big, ballsy rock and roll record, and I'm so looking forward to it. But yeah, I like to sing, I like to go out and play, it's good. Do you like to travel around the country and do that, or do you just kind of keep it local in the California scene? Um, you know, we did all over the country with Carnaby Street and Hot and Sticky. Uh, that's why it did so good here. And, and we did not get to Florida, and I love Florida. I love it down there. 
but we didn't get a chance to, to go. It's mainly Chicago, Detroit, L.A., New York, um, uh, you know, because I had specific things I had to do here. You know, I had my, my TV show and I've got the serious show and I've got things that I had to be here for. And I did CSI and, you know, those TV shows that I do. And so I can't really... Um, Time use the time to go tour for months. It's not something that I can do, but I am dedicating the rest of this year to making the album and touring Europe, yes. Okay. Tell us a little bit about your TV radio show that you've got on Sirius. In fact, we can also talk a little bit about Little Steven's uh, Underground Garage Sync, because actually yeah, that's, it's that's, great, man. that's Channel 21 for those who listen. And I actually listen to that station a lot because they've got uh, a number of good, uh, cool, vintage 60s music. But tell us a little bit about your, your affiliation with Little Steven and, and your radio show. Well, Little Steven has been a friend for many years. Uh, Steve Jones of the Sex Pistols and I were in a band called Checkered Past with Clem Burke and Nigel Harrison. Uh, on bass and drums from Blondie and Tony Seuss from Bowie's band Tin Machine and we put a band together and we, we in the 80s early 80s and we met Stevie we supported him when he left Bruce and went out on his own uh, very politicized he was Sun City uh, was very very into um, changing things the way he saw them and what was wrong and he wanted to contribute so we met him and we loved him and um then I put out Carnaby Street, and he, he played it. You know, he played that album, and uh, we became re, reacquainted. And uh, then Andrew Lou Goldham, who is on Little Stephen's Underground Garage, sustained an injury, and uh, Stephen asked me if I would, uh, you know, fill in for him. And I did, and I am, you know, and I'll be on tonight. <laughs> you know, it's... Uh, uh, if anybody wants to check it out, Channel 21. Um, and it's been a fantastic experience. My internet show, the Michael DeBar show, where I've interviewed all these people and and, and will on Thursday, um, has been a really interesting and, and incredible experience for me. Because what it does, and you probably know this, it, it, it removes yourself. You're not selling yourself. You're, you're interviewing somebody and getting the best you can possibly get out of them, make them feel safe and comfortable enough to be able to tell you stuff that, that matters, you know, instead of the fatuous bullshit, that, you know, stuff that you hear <laughs> television, these silly talk shows, you know, where everybody prepares a couple of jokes and, and uh, promotes the movie and gets the hell out of there. You know, my shows are an hour long, and you get into... I've had some incredible discussions with people. Name some of the guests. Uh, recently here, um, I was listening to one of your shows, which uh, you had Gene Simmons on there, and uh, I was pretty impressed with it. And I like the way you do your interview, because it's kind of like mine. It's just kind of casual. You let the guests talk a little bit, you know, and it's about the guest. Well, it's it's about... Um, it's about the truth. Mm-hmm. Um, if you can, you know, in, in terms of Gene, Gene has been very, very uh, a part of much a part of my life. I mean, in, in uh, Detective and Checkered Pass, he had every band I've ever been in. I for kiss. <laughs> you know, he's been very, very, very kind. Um, but I know that inside him, there's a, there is a demon, and I wanted to get to it. I wanted to find out what drives that character that he created up there. That, that monster, who is that? Where, where, where did that come from? And it comes from the fact that his mother was a Holocaust survivor. And he feels a tremendous sense of anger about that. And he, on my show, divulged this information, and it was mind-blowing uh, to hear the great beast, Gene, who is the sweetest guy in the world, very opinionated man, of course, and with the current Rock and Roll Hall of Fame um, 
brouhaha with Ace and Peter and so on and so forth. He's come in for a lot of criticism, but he uh, sustains. Um, like, like he's a professional. You know, he's a, he's created this band. It's a billion dollar band, and uh, God bless him for it. But he was a great interview. He really let his guard down. It's good. Uh, one of the other interviews that I watched was uh, you and Don Johnson, and evidently you guys are pretty good friends. Yeah, I, I, I had a very rare privilege of knowing him for over 40 years, um, and uh, he's been through a lot, as have I. And uh, it's, it's, a great, uh, it's a great interview. He, again, you know, is, has, he was the Beatles. <laughs> I mean, three weeks into Miami Vice, he was international superstar, and... and it's interesting because they just did a documentary on me, and there's an interview with him in it, and he says it's it's easy to learn how to sing, and it's easy to learn how to act, but it is not easy to learn how to deal with fame. And that's true. Uh, it's hard. Uh, a lot harder for him than it has been for me, because he was exponentially so much more uh, famous. Um, and he's been through an awful lot, and it, it can really, really... What's the word? The, the polite word for it. it can confuse you and throw you for a loop, um, and it did in his case. And he spent the last few years really recovering from all of it and becoming truthful and honest. He's remarried. He's got some new kids, and it uh, went through a tremendous catharsis. And, and it's important for your audience and any audience to understand the pressures. It might look like a glamorous life. What are you complaining about? But if you haven't walked in those shoes, you don't know what you're talking about. You know, um, Michael, I got I, I actually I feel pretty comfortable with you too. So what I'd like to do is I'd like to ask you a couple questions and just kind of give me kind of like the rundown because you know the problem is is a lot of people you know you, you don't know what you read half the time whether it's true. But when somebody's talking, generally there's a, you can sense a certain sincerity in their voice and their inflections and stuff. And you mentioned you know Don Johnson and you know dealing with success and 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 some people being more successful than others. And you referenced uh, you know Gene Simmons. And even in your case, are the temptations really, really that strong? And and what type of a person? Because you like Gene. Gene is anti-drug. Okay, I'm anti-drugs. I've never been influenced by it. You couldn't do it. It's almost like a fighting word to me. So tell me why you feel. And you, you mentioned earlier too that many of your friends are no longer here because they've unfortunately just OD'd or whatever happened. So tell us a little bit about what that's like. You've been there. You've seen it. You know both sides. So share your thoughts on that. When you're exposed to temptation, you have a choice. But when you get in, involved in narcotics, you lose your choice. You be, you're owned by the drug. Uh, the drug leads you forward. Some kids are in front of a mirror. They're 14 years old. They've got a hairbrush in their hand, and they're singing into it like it was a microphone. And they can't wait to get to Madison Square Garden. And sometimes some of them do get to Madison Square Garden. The statistics, however, have proved that you can be at Madison Square Garden and you can't wait to get off that stage and get back to the dressing room and get loaded. Just think about that for a second. The very dream that you had, you trash because you're addicted to drugs. In Gene's case, he never did drugs. He never smoked a cigarette and he never had a drink, but he was addicted to sex. And that is the same compulsion. It's not funny. It's not clever. It's not cool to be owned by anything. 
the dangers of stardom are that everybody wants to give you everything they've got. And some people rape and pillage and take advantage. But pretty soon you find out that you don't own yourself anymore. And by ownership, I just mean being cool and understanding that moderation you know, in these things is impossible because you're an addictive personality. You're addicted to fame, the worst drug of all. And the minute that starts to slide, look what happens. Look what happened to Jamie from Warrens. Look what happened to Johnny Sanders. Look what happened to these people. These, you know, talented people um, succumb to the addiction and die. Uh, that, that to me, is, is, is horrific. Um, so I would say that, uh, that the struggles of, of riches and fame, while people would, you know, perhaps are snickering right now about, uh, yeah, well, I wish I was like uh, in Madison Garden and I had a bag of Coke and I hook, oh, yeah, that'd be great. Well, it isn't great. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah, it may be great if you can do it and get away with it, but most people don't. So to answer your question, um, the idea is for any young musician is to play authentic music because the minute you do get you know, sidetracked by drugs or any temptation that takes you away from the music, your music sucks. So there you have it, I guess, you know, is my little uh, rant about drugs and temptation. Is it worse, do you think, for the guys, let's just talk about, let's say, let's Jim Morrison, uh, Jimi Hendrix, you know, when they die at an early age versus they've been to the top and they've now they're down on the bottom and they can't seem to get their career back going again and then they just OD and, and, and just kind of fade off into the... Well, that's into, one version, but that's, okay. that's not the only version. Right, right. I mean, but I'm just, there are millions of versions, you know, uh, the two kids from, the two young men from Bad Finger died by, you know, by their own hand 10 years apart and hung themselves, both of them. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is a very heavy conversation we're having. Right. Um, you know, it's, it's, it can happen in any number of ways. Kurt Cobain, arguably the greatest songwriter of his generation, certainly of, of any rock and roll songwriter. I mean, he was, Kurt Cobain was such a genius, and uh, he didn't think so. Um, and it, just that one moment, he blew his head off. Now, if he'd waited a week, you know, maybe things would have changed. I don't know. But Morrison obviously was in a slump and uh, uh, didn't believe that it was true. It, the, you see, when you have that dream and stuff, you get it and it's not what you thought it was, it's pretty much of a bummer. Mm-hmm. And you've got to reconsider what's going on here. You know, why are you on the planet? You know, right now... My focus is, is to connect with people, engage with people on Twitter and Instagram, all the social uh, media. But essentially, it's about helping your community. It's about helping the old people in your community or the, or, or the youngins that are going astray or contributing to the community, not to take from the community. If you're in this lofty position, you're just taking all that money away from people and spending on lavish mountain, you know, top, you know, mansions and buying sports cars and, and, and just indiscriminately, you know, spending all this money when you could be doing things that possibly could be helpful or make you feel better. <laughs> you know? And um, that's what I espouse right now. I can't, I'm not going to proselytize this. I mean, do whatever you want. You know, it's up to you, man, you know. But in my case, I've survived this long because I, I give a blank about people. Well, that's commendable of you, too. Now, let's just change the show. Let's go on a lighter note. You wrote a song back in the 80s called Obsession, and it was performed by a group called Unemotion, I believe. That's what it, and that was a big hit for you. Take us through the process a little bit of the, of, of the songwriting. 
Well, I wrote it with Holly Knight, who um, has written some amazing songs. Love is a Battlefield, Better Be Good to Me, The Best, Infantina Turner, and so on. Many, many wonderful songs. Um, and I got the opportunity to work with her because we were both on the same label. And Mike Chapman, I don't know if you've heard of him, a legendary producer, uh, put us together. And um, we cut it. Uh, we wrote it. Uh, I wrote the lyric in 10 minutes. We wrote the song in an hour. And um, it, shall we say, put our children through college. You know, it's an amazing, amazing thing. It happens once in a blue moon. It was one of those magic things. The, the, the lyric was about drugs. It was about being obsessed. But I turned it into a love story about being obsessed with this girl and so on and so on. Um, and uh, people really enjoyed it. And, and it was uh, one of those things that you write that you don't really think about, which is probably the best songs that you write when they just come out of the air and flow through your hand into the pencil and on the paper. And you don't think too hard. It just, it just happens. Well, I, w- I know Keith Richards is on record as saying, you know, that uh, he got as his co-writer, you know, and, and he's right. Well, I'll tell you one thing. It's a very catchy song. It's a very cool song. I like it. Um, back in the day, I think it was very period correct. You know, it was a good song. Let me ask you this. What are some of the things that you have yet to accomplish that you haven't accomplished yet? What are, what are some of your future oh, goals? I don't think like that, Rob. You don't? I don't, think, I don't think like that. No, 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 no. I just do whatever I've got to do today. Okay. <laughs> I mean, like, I've got to record two shows for serious. I've got to go rehearse with my band tonight, and uh, uh, that's enough. If I go any further than that, I, I you know, I'd uh, jump out the window. Well, obviously you're very focused and you're very accomplished. Okay, so let's just say, for example, you're not acting, you're not singing, you're not writing, but you're just relaxing, you're doing RR. So what does Michael DeBar do in his spare time? What It sounds like you have very little of, but let's just say, what are some of the things you do on the side? I spend time with my son, and I spend time with my beautiful girlfriend, who I love very much, and we go um, for hikes, and we make love, and we eat fabulous food, and um, I read books. Uh, you remember books? Yeah, I remember books. And I, <laughs> <laughs> and I play guitar, because okay. I love to. So I, I think the key that I've learned over the years is is pace. Pace yourself, my dears. Okay. Pacing is extremely important. But, you know, I do things that everybody else does. But it just is, I'm much, um, I feel really uh, compelled in a sense to work. You know, I love to work. What inspires you? Um, everything. I, I've been particularly inspired by uh, by flowers lately. Okay. I, I have this beautiful garden. I, I, I swear to God, I, I look at these flowers and I can see them talking to one another. I mean, it, I think where I'm at right now is that everything is the same. We're all the same. Trees, you know, uh, people, nations, religions. It's all the same thing. And to separate them all out into countries and flower beds is absurd. We're all in this together, man. And if we don't realize that, we won't have anything to be together in. And I believe that. So other things that inspire me are the silliest, craziest things. Like, you know, I'll be walking down the street and I'll see a homeless person. And I'm literally... I mean, I'm I'm so into interviewing people that I, I'll go and talk, 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 and and usually what you get from the homeless is is that they are mentally ill. They 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 cannot function in the world. That um, they're so 
sensitive um, to the world, the brutality of the world, that they end up on the street. There's no institutions for them. They can't stay in an institution. Um, so many things inspire me. Great movies inspire me. You know, I saw an incredible movie last night starring Ray Fiennes as Charles Dickens, and it was about a forbidden love affair he had, and I just was so inspired by it. It was um, an amazing story, and I just remained curious and open, you know. Well, let me ask you this. For example, you said everything were all the same. Don't you appreciate cultures, though? I mean, you know, like you have, let's say, a European culture, you know, I mean, you've got... I'm not talking about the trappings. I'm talking okay. about the human condition. I'm not talking okay. about trousers. Okay. And, and streets and buildings and, and art. No, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the human condition. Love, lust, revenge, envy, joy, uh, etc. Okay. We're all the same emotionally. We've okay. all got different hats on and different shoes, but we're all the same emotionally. I'm not talking about, um, you know, miniskirts versus burkas. <laughs> okay. I gotcha. Music-wise, what are some of the other things you look forward to doing in music? Staying in tune. Staying in tune, okay. Um, Traveling. Do you like to travel? Off to Rome in a few weeks. Love it. Yeah, we always go somewhere. I mean, on my time off, we'll drive up the coast. I love Northern California. It's beautiful, the Redwood Forest. It's very beautiful. New York, I love. Yeah, we move around. I think you have to, otherwise you atrophy, you know. Any more movies in your future? Yeah, I'm going to do a movie in Ireland in September about a rock and roll star who's dying, and um, and he never made it, and it's a drag, and he and he gets put in a home, and he falls in love with a fellow uh, patient, and um, there's two guys in there he formed a, a band with, uh, much against his wishes, and it's a beautiful story. It's a very human story about rock and roll. You very rarely see that. You know, usually it's all Jack Daniels and roadies, and you know, fame and 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 drugs and death. You know, this is actually a, a very uplifting story about a guy who transcends that kind of uh, superficial characterizations, generalizations, and realizes that he's a man and that, that he's in love. Um, I was reading that you won an award, and it was called, it's a Legends Award, and it's with the Action of Film. Mm. Tell us a little bit about that and what that award stands well, for. I've done a lot of movies, like action movies, you know, like, you know, stuff, and and they very kindly, you know, said, hey, Michael, we love what you've done, and and they gave me this thing, and it was a life achievement thing. You know, I've done a lot of independent movies that were, uh, um, you know, good, and uh, you know, but they don't get seen much. But this, this particular organization specializes in films that don't get seen much, and, and they like to encourage people to make movies like that and be in movies like that, and um, they picked me out, and, and I was more than happy to promote the idea that, you know, independent film is terribly important. That we that, That's why this whole Kickstarter thing is so interesting, you know, where you can appeal to the people to help you get your vision made. And that's what this organization does, is it makes people aware that, you know, there are talented people who cannot raise the money because the studio system is now... You, you know, you get one of the Hemsworth brothers and you put him in tights and you make a movie. You know, it's like, it's different now, man. You know, Marvel Comics um, movies. But, and so the interesting independent film is sort of disappearing. So I did that and said thank you and promoted the vibe. With uh, the internet and technology the way it is today, do you think it's easier for talent to get recognized today than it was back in your day? Yes, I do. 
I, I absolutely do. I, I think that, that you've hit the nail on the head. I, I think that it's, it's better. Um, you might not sell 20 million albums like John Bon Jovi, uh, but if you're smart and you're authentic and you play the truth, play the truth is very important, to be honest. And, um, and then, you know, use the social media to get your music across. I know in the last few years, that's what I've done. You know, I got people to, you know, and I'm 66, by the way, and I'm still making rock and roll records. Now, that'll tell you something, you know, because if people tell you it's a young man's game, it's an old man's game, whatever it is, it's it's not a game. It's it's what you do, and you can do it at any age, whether you're 16 or 60. And I believe that, uh, given the circumstances of technology and the way to get yourself across uh, you can you can sustain a career. You can play live. You build a fan base. You, you sell your CDs. You sell your merch, and you get on with it, man. You know you may not be you know be the Stones, um, but you'll make a living. Would you say there's a lot of talent out there these days compared to in the oh, old days? There's so many talented people out there. I mean, there's unbelievable writers, male and female, incredible uh, writers, bands that I hear. You know, people send me music all the time because of the radio stuff, but uh, as I'm sure they do you. I mean, it's an amazing um, experience to hear these bands. You know, I champion a lot of those bands. You know, I love Vintage Trouble. I love Alabama Shakes. You know, I mean, what Jack White has done is amazing. And there, there are so many. You know, there's a, there's a two girls, Deep Valley, they're called, the guitar um, and drums, unbelievably talented. Uh, so, yeah, there's a tremendous amount of great musicians out there. But there always will be. But corporate America decides to push whatever, you know, whatever it is, Bieber or whatever it is. I'm not saying anything against Bieber, don't get me wrong, I'm not judging anybody. But corporate America is a whole other thing. Corporate America owns the radio station, as you're aware. Oh, yeah. And they, oh. they want to play, because they're all owned by the same entity. So, therefore, if their artist is on the same uh, corporate structure as, as what the station is is, uh, is owned by, then hence you hear that music. But there's a whole other culture. What would be, in closing here, what would be the best advice you could give to, let's say, our listeners, and uh, let's just say uh, some up-and-coming talent? What would you tell them? Write your own songs and make it real, and do not record until you believe in them. The most important thing for young musicians to to understand is to spend as much time as you can on refining those songs. Look, John and Paul sat in that room at Aunt Mimi's house upstairs in that one bedroom. John and Paul sat in that room and wrote songs blended their voices, created a sound that changed the world. You can, too, if you sit there and you deal with the truth and make it authentic. Don't copy anybody. Be influenced by others. Nuance it yourself. Make it your own. Write the truth. Sing the truth. And then go play it every way you can. That's great advice. Michael, I want to thank you very much for taking some time out to hang out with us here at Nostalgic Radio and Cars. I wish you the best of luck in your career. I truly enjoyed this interview. Well, I enjoyed it tremendously, Robert, for allowing me to talk about things other than, you know, what kind of trousers do I like. God bless you, Cedric, and uh, God bless you, Robert, and everybody out there. Take it easy, be good to one another, and God bless you. 
Okay, listeners, I want to thank my special guest, Michael DeBar, for hanging out with us here at Nostalgic Radio and Cars. In the meantime, I want everybody to tune into Nostalgic Radio and Cars every Tuesday at 7 p.m. for the most legendary and fascinating names in motorsports and now music. Be sure and check out our Facebook page, Nostalgic Radio and Cars and Gulfstream Motorsports. Don't forget to like us on both. If you missed any of our past shows, don't forget to check out our podcast, Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Hope to see some of you guys at some of the car shows and concerts and really cool events that are going to be taking place here in the next month or so. And I want all my listeners to stay safe, drive carefully, and love your family. Take care, everyone. I don't mean to be telling tales out of school, but there's a fella in there who'll pay you $10 if you sing into his can. Downtown Dave. I'm not here to make a record, you dumb cracker. It broadcast me out on the radio. WTAN, Clearwater, Tampa Bay. WDCF, Dade City, Tampa Bay. WZHR, Zephyr Hills, Tampa Bay. Listen. You dumb cracker. Hey, don't forget, next week, our four-year anniversary. Tune in to Nostalgic Radio on Cars. Tell all your friends. Bring on new, new.